inaugural episode of And That's Okay, the podcast where we sit down and have honest talks about being different and accepting those differences. Today, to talk about her journey, we have former Miss Montana USA 2020. Welcome, Marissa Underwood. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love the, uh, the mission of the podcast. Thank you. Now, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, like you said, I'm Miss Montana USA 2020, and I've been a vegan for seven years. And, you know, being a vegan in Montana is kind of uh, a clash, one could say. So that's, <laughs> the, that's the biggest piece to me. Um, and yeah, competed at Miss USA last winter. And the things that I care about the most are the environment, animals, and music, really. I love that. Those are the things I care about, too. So <laughs> that definitely works with me. Now, like you said, you recently walked the Miss USA stage. How did it feel walking across the stage as your most authentic vegan self? Oh, there's, you know, honestly, so the, the thing about me is that I don't say things to um, make anybody else feel like comfortable. And so I'll say how I truly feel about something. And I have to say that Miss USA was not what I thought it would be. It was truly a very big letdown. Um, I've kind of used the phrase of like this fantasy that I was told really came to die as soon as I <laughs> got to Miss USA, uh, which was really disappointing. And I know that sounds so intense. and. You know, some people think that that maybe makes me ungrateful or unhappy about it. And that's not the case at all. It's just ended up being a completely different scenario than what I thought it would be. But I still cherish that experience. It was amazing. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Nice. So touching on that a little bit, you've previously said that you're glad you didn't win the title of Miss USA. I assume you still stand by that statement. I do. I I just, I'm not the right person at all for it. Um, I came to discover that being a state title holder, I've held a couple local titles, but they are nothing in comparison to what it's like to be a state title holder. And what I came to find out is that it's not really about you as an individual. It's about the sponsors and the money behind everything. And with that, what makes money is promoting products and talking about companies. And you don't get to decide if you don't want to support a company. And that was the biggest thing. Like there was a point where we were potentially going to have Miss USA in the Bahamas and a huge attraction in the Bahamas is swimming with dolphins. And I was told that if it was in the Bahamas, I would be required to participate in that uh, exploitation of the animals, the term that I use over attraction. And, um, I was told that if I didn't do it, I would be in breach of contract and potentially wouldn't be able to compete. And so I discovered fast that it's not about me or what I stand for. It's just about selling things in large part. That's definitely super intense and really good to know, especially for future title holders who have some of the same values as you. Mm -hmm. So what was the most difficult part? You said that a lot of the sponsors were tricky, but what was the most difficult part about being Miss Montana USA in relation to staying true to yourself and your values? I found that, so I'm a very vocal and outspoken person. I'm sure everybody can pick up on that. 
And what I found is that if somebody offers you, let's say, here's your piece of paper that has all of the sponsorships that you get on it, but then it has all these stipulations. If you disagree with the stipulations, you're considered to be difficult. Um, people will say, oh, she just wants to complain about things or she just can't be happy about something. And I really found that I wasn't actually allowed to have an opinion most of the time. Like, even though I was given in, if you look at all the states and the directors, I probably had the best one for me that would let me be as authentic as possible. And I still felt like I wasn't actually authentic. And if I disagreed with something that I was told to do, I became difficult. And I was just like very shut down. There was not open communication. It was like, you're doing this period. And that is really hard for me. So I can understand that you said that your directors were the best fit for you. Did they try and support you as much as they could? Or did they try and sort of have you fit into the box as much as possible? Um, they really did it the best that they could. And that kind of went back and forth and that there were some things that they were like, we are being told by MUO that this is what needs to happen. So it wasn't them trying to put me in a box. It was like, this is the way the organization runs and you need to get with the program kind of a thing. But they still were as supportive and as cool as they possibly could have been, I think. Because at the end of the day, like it is a business. I get it. You can't have people just running around being like, this sponsor sucks and I don't want to do that. So Definitely. Definitely. Well, it's good that you had supportive directors. And uh, going back to the fact that you're very, I don't want to use the word disruptive, but it's sort of the best one that comes to mind. A very disruptive woman. You received unheard of amounts of hate, especially for a title holder, including a campaign to take away your title. Now, that would have made many people consider giving up the title or succumbing to the pressure and giving up being vegan. How did you stay strong and committed to your cause in the face of all of that hate? I just knew that they hated me because of what I stood for and it didn't have anything to do with me personally. None of these people knew anything about me other than what I looked like and what I do and don't eat and what I encourage other people to do and or to eat and to not eat, meaning, you know, plant-based diet. Um, it was really hard. There was a period where it was really scary. I felt like I was going to be ostracized no matter where I went. I thought, oh, I wouldn't be accepted into uh, local events and um, like the city. I felt like my city was going to kind of turn back on me that I lived in. Um, that wasn't the case at all. I found that people were more intrigued by what I had to say, actually, even if they did completely believe the opposite of what I did. Um, but it was really scary in the beginning, but I'm not the kind of person to like walk away or to... Um, like, I don't know if you just heard that. That was my text tone coming through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you um, might hear train every once in a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not really the kind of person to, like, walk away from something. Like, I very much am comfortable with debating and having conversations. And, like, at the end of the day, what I think so many of these people didn't realize is that they just made my mo- microphone that much bigger. And I got so many opportunities because of their hate, because of what they did. So, like, I was thinking about this this morning because I still get hate to this day. I have people commenting on things, being like, how does it feel that everybody in Montana hates you? I was like, 
It happened two years ago. What are you doing? It's really holding on to some stuff still. Yeah, I get um probably one a week now, where it used to be like one every minute before. But yeah, it's still holding on. Well, you know, some people they just gotta hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what advice would you have to give to young people that might experience that sort of hate and pressure? People don't understand what they don't understand, and if you have a different viewpoint or opinion or idea than the other person was raised on, they're going to most likely try to attack you because they don't even get where you're coming from. So being able to have conversations and really stand up for what you believe in, but then also disagreement isn't the end of the world. Like I really noticed this over the last election and everything that's happened over the last year and a half, two years is that people kind of have this belief where if somebody disagrees with you, that means that they should be removed from your life. You know, oh, if you voted for this person, unfriend me, unfollow me. If you're still wearing a mask, unfollow me. It's like we're allowed to have different opinions and still be able to sit down at a table and talk to each other. And that's kind of what is so scary to me is this massive divisiveness of like, we're just we're just never going to speak again. Then how are you ever going to learn? So be open to learning and be open to understanding somebody's perspective, but still, you know, holding true to what you believe in. I think that's great advice, especially like you said, with this election that this new this upcoming generation has experienced in sort of a very impressionable time in their life. They've seen all of this hate. So I think for them, remembering to just being open to other people's opinions is great advice. So you mentioned that being in Montana and being vegan is definitely a very polarizing choice. And especially because we are one of the biggest producers of meat and all of that, you know, good animal exploitation industry. (laughs) (laughs) What advice do you have for young people, especially young Montanans who are struggling with a lifestyle or dietary difference such as veganism? Ooh. It's, I would say, buckle up, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Just really get in for the ride. Just, yes, buckle up. Because I was vegetarian when I was 16 for the first time, 15 or 16. And the hate that you will get in high school is unparalleled. I mean, people already make fun of each other just for no reason. You could wear a blue shirt and somebody would make fun of you. So you can imagine if you decide to go a little bit against the grain and do something different, Not only that, but I feel like when you say I'm vegan, I'm vegetarian, it makes the other person feel like they have to defend as to why they're still eating meat or dairy products. So get ready for people to make fun of you. And that's okay. Like people will, you know, what's the quote? First, they ignore you, then they mock you, and then they join you. So you're in the mocking mocking (laughs) part of that right now. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I know, especially being vegetarian, there are sometimes just so many there's just not enough options for us. Like I remember my the very beginning of my vegetarian vegan journey, I ate so much salad because that was oh, the yeah. only option. Mm-hmm. Go to a restaurant and they're like, well, you can order a Caesar salad and take off the chicken and take off the cheese, but the croutons has dairy in it too. And you're like, so romaine lettuce. <laughs> so romaine lettuce is what I'm stuck with. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely such a huge thing for me. And it just, it also just made it so much harder because then you feel so alone because people are eating delicious steak and delicious mashed potatoes with cheese and milk. And you're like, oh, here's my lettuce. Yes. This is great. Yes. And, <laughs> sort of in that same vein, what would you give, 
what advice would you give to anyone struggling with a fear of acceptance just in general being scared of who they are because the world won't like them Mm, that's a really good question you know i think if you look back on anybody who was a leader of a movement they were all ostracized in the beginning people always make fun of them because it's different and i don't know why people tend to make fun of people who err on the side of empathy i don't know um I think the world is really filled with a lot of people who are just so scared and that comes out as hate. So maybe understanding like why people have so much hate in their heart in the first place, that it all stems down to fear, like fear of the unknown, something different. And like at the core of it, if you have a different opinion, then that means that that person potentially is wrong. So in their mind, they're like, well, if she believes opposite of me, that means I'm wrong and I can't be wrong. So I'll do anything and argue in any capacity to not be wrong. Yes. I definitely think that this is a very argument. I think just in general, this generation is going to be very argumentative. And I think, like you said earlier, just always remembering to just take a minute, acknowledge that somebody else is coming from a different point of view and that not everything is an attack on you personally I think is really important to know yes exactly so you said you've been vegan for seven years and you were vegetarian previously what sort of made you change from an obviously meat-based diet and doing 4-H especially what made you change to a more environmental cause So I was in FFA, which is like 4-H. It's just a part of the school program. Mm -hmm. Um, FFA is really what did it. So thanks to my FFA teacher. Um, We had to, my first year, my freshman year, it was required that we showed an animal at the county fair at the end. And that was predominantly goats, sheep, pigs, chickens, ducks, whatever. And then you had to sell them. And that was the whole point of the project. And in my mind, I was like, what? I could never, ever raise a little goat or a lamb and then go off and sell it to somebody. Like the concept was so insane to me. And luckily for me, I rode horses. So I was able to show my horse. I didn't have to bring an animal, you know, a farm animal. Mm -hmm. And everything that we learned in class, we talked about antibiotic use and different laws that are in place. The way that it was taught was so lacking emotion and lacking any consideration for the life of the animal. And then a lot of my classmates were like their families were ranchers and they were so cruel and mean and the jokes that they would make, you know, they said that PETA was the people for the eating of tasty animals. And I exactly who said that to me. And, and and exactly what classroom I was in at the moment he said that to me. And I was like, I will do anything to be the complete opposite from the way that you guys think. So FFA really did it. <laughs> yeah. So you said that you mentioned that they were definitely very cruel. Would you say that vegans and more environmentally based people are generally, and this isn't for everybody, but generally more of an empathetic group who are able to connect better with their environment? Um, you know, I, I personally really hate generalizations, so I can't say yes or no to that because I know some people who are plant-based and could not care less about animals. They still buy leather couches. They still do this and they're only plant-based for their health. 
but I know people who care a ton about the environment still eat meat. Um, I think that we just kind of have things in our bodies, our souls that really attract us to caring about something. Um, yeah, I mean, I think everybody has different levels of empathy and we just tend to pick the ones that really call to us, I guess. I actually really like that answer because it shows that there are different ways that you can take a journey, especially a plant-based or lifestyle journey. And there, it shows that there's no tight box that you have to fit in. There's no way to be correctly vegan. There's vegans who don't like animals but are still vegan. And then there's vegans who love animals and would never think of buying anything with leather. So it really enforces the point that it's okay to be different everybody has differences. Yeah. I love that. So now that your pageant journey has come to an end, I assume it's come to an end. I don't think you're going to be competing for any more titles. You know, I actually was planning on competing for Miss Earth after Miss USA because Miss Earth has a year longer. I believe you age out at like 29 instead of 28 for USA. But because of COVID, it took so long for us to get to Miss USA that I missed the um the entry point to get to miss earth so that was disappointing it was a couple months um but everything happens for a reason so no i'm done i have aged out of all the miss divisions oh that's that's actually really sad <laughs> but now that your pageant journey has definitively come to an end what are your future plans and what are you planning on advocating for in the upcoming years so overall, like a really big goal, I have two main goals that I want to accomplish. I love public speaking. And so I want to go on like a speaking tour to different colleges and conferences and talk about my experience as Miss Montana USA, the way that I felt having such strong convictions and kind of a, a tight box of business and then dealing with having, quote unquote, an entire state hating your gut. <laughs> I love that title. It's so like <laughs> very inflammatory. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how it felt. There was one point where I was at um, a Black Lives Matter protest and across the street there were the counter protesters and they were all holding their guns. You know, they brought out their weapons with them. And I walked by them because I just like to kind of put myself in the belly of the beast. And I walked by and they knew who I was and they were like, you shouldn't be here. Get out of Montana. So it kind of felt like the whole thing came in my guts at one point. You gotta love Montana counter protest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so then back to the question what are your future plans? Are you. Um, yeah. So um, aside of speaking, I want to, I really care a lot about sustainability. And so my main goal, it, like career wise, is to do sustainability for a major music festival um, or a company, something like Insomniac or Tomorrowland in Belgium. I would love to be in control of helping them get to be zero waste, carbon neutral, deal with their waste. And then the, um, you know, all the carbon that is emitted when everybody's traveling there and everything that happens in regards to the festivals, because they are very wasteful. Definitely, definitely. I've seen those trash cans afterwards. Oh, they're bad. <laughs> it's, it's intense. Yeah. And then my final question for you today is that everybody 
throughout the world. And I saw you actually talking about being weird on your Instagram story today. But uh-huh. everybody is weird in their own special way. What advice just generally do you have to give to people who are struggling with that weirdness or who just need confidence in being who they are? I think at the core, everybody's weird. Everybody's different. And honestly, everybody's kind of really afraid and nobody has any clue what they're doing. Even though people totally pretend that they do. And on social media, it looks like everybody's got it going on. Everybody has a weird thing that they care about, that they're interested in. They're just too afraid to follow it and pursue it and share it in any way. And like something I've been dealing with a lot this last year is I feel like everybody's doing something huge with their hobbies, if that makes sense, where it's like, if definitely they have, you know, an Instagram with 200,000 followers just for their knitting stuff and they make their career out of it and it gets so overwhelming to want to just love the weird little hobbies that you have. Um, So like I've taken a lot of pride in keeping things like secret to myself and loving them on my own because I love them, not because they need to be shared to an Instagram account with a million followers or something. So doing things for yourself, if you love it, do it for you, not for the thought of anybody else. And that's really hard. I get it. That's a really hard thing to not do. Yeah, definitely. Especially in this age of social media, where like you said, everybody is broadcasting their talents all over. And then you have somebody who is an amazing singer with only 15 followers. And then you've got somebody who's also equally as good, but they've got a million. And I feel like it just kind of creates a discrepancy where you feel like maybe you're not as good. Mm -hmm. So I think... I think keeping your talents to yourself, but also embracing them is really important. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It was great talking to you. Um, I love the messages that you have, and I'm so looking forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you so much. I do. I want to add one other thing, if because I'm sure that there will be some like pageant girls listening or anybody who's thinking about a pageant or Miss USA. Don't let what I said deter you still do it because it still changed my life and it can change your life there's so much good that the organization can do just be fully aware of what it actually is because I was kind of given this like anything you want in the world will be yours um, as soon as you win and it's just not the case but don't let it deter you still work just as hard to get it Yes, I definitely think they sell a little bit of a dream, but I definitely do believe that there's still a lot of good that can come from the title, especially if you know what you're going into. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the very first episode of And That's Okay, featuring our very own Miss Montana USA 2020, Marissa Underwood. Here's a sneak peek of next month's episode featuring Miss Stamford USA, Renee Reyes. I think if you do that and focus on how you can help yourself and empower yourself and your own life, you can get to the point where your family um, back in your home country will be looking at you like, wow, you did good. (laughs) 